Yo, yo, yo. What's happening, everybody? <laughs> Excited? I feel I may have overrepresented my excitement. Okay. Well, it's time for episode three of season two. It's the Grand Budapest Hotel. Which I just realised isn't set in Budapest. No, no, I also realised that it's set in a That's fictional country, isn't it? Misleading. It is. Because Budapest is a real place. It is in Hungary. It is in Hungary. None of that is useful because the Grand Budapest Hotel is not in Budapest, but it is a grand hotel. Yep. It's a film by Wesley Wales Anderson. And is let's that his just, name? Let's just start right there, okay, guys? I've got some things I want to say about names. Oh, hang on. We should talk about who who oh, introduced yeah. us to this film before we get carried away. So sorry. Yes, this uh, was a recommendation from my good friend Cameron. Uh, Cameron and his wife Joella have a podcast called Would We Rather, where they ask would you rather questions and they answer them together. Uh, it's quite fun. It's quite fun because it's like a very easy concept to get behind, you know. Yeah, yeah, you can pick it up any episode and just have a listen. They're good fun people. But Cameron says this is in his top ten, possibly top five films. Oh, uh, I thought you were going to say podcasts. Our <laughs> podcast was in mm. his top five podcasts. I don't know if you'd no, go that far. Disappointing. Um, so let's have a little listen to what Cameron has to say about the Grand Budapest Hotel by Wesley Wales Anderson. <laughs> Hello, I'm Cameron. Hey guys, hope you're doing well. It's Cam here. I think that you should watch uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel for several reasons. Uh, firstly, the visuals. It's very interesting they're very interesting colors lots of strange pinks and just kind of colors that you don't find in the normal world in terms of the architecture but also just the general uh, landscape everything's just interesting to look at also it's kind of it's kind of on the same point but like he's created Wes Anderson director has created like a, a world that's kind of a little bit like the real world but you don't really know where it's meant to be or what the context is but it's just like this, the you know it's it's an interest it's just like some some ways to transport your mind to uh the dialogue as always with Wes Anderson is really snappy really quick but also poignant at moments and just keeps the story going along without a second to spare and the last reason I think is the man Rafe finds himself is he a sir I don't know he probably should be but what a, what a guy he's just like. He steals every scene he's in. And that's not to say that the other actors in it aren't great, but he's just like, he's world class, as we all know. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, have a great time. All right. There we go. Thanks, Cameron. Thanks. Thanks, Cam. Um, I was going to talk about names. Wesley Wales Anderson. That's a country mate, not a middle name. Like, I didn't call my kid Eric Portugal Jones. Or, you know, like Percy Portugal's Senegal. a girl's name. Okay. And then I had a history teacher at school and his name was Warwick Webster. Willie? <laughs> Willie. <laughs> no, not Willie. <laughs> and uh, he once got his ears pinned back. Why? Because he had sticky out ears and everyone laughed at his sticky out ears and then everyone laughed at his pinned back ears. I think that's just kids though, isn't it? Really like. We had a teacher called... And he fancied the art teacher. Oh, dear, 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 dear. I can't name her, because I'd have named both of them. <laughs> so that was all related. Yeah, uh, what do you think of the film? 
I thought it was good. Uh, I think a bit confusing. I was going to talk about names very quickly, just because you've got Rafe Fines, a man who is so posh he doesn't know how to say Ralph. And I would say Rafe is less posh than Ralph. Yeah, but when it's spelt Ralph and you say Rafe, yeah. maybe he's just dyslexic. He can't read his own name. He played Monsieur Gustave H, sort of the lead character, along with Zero. And you've got Shersha Ronan. And I feel like with Irish and Gallic names. Is that how you say the name? Because yeah. I've seen that written down, but I didn't know. Say it again. Shersha. Oh, that's a really annoying name to say. Well, I wanted to pick this up because I feel like with Gallic and Irish names, they just sort of decide the name and then just throw some letters at the mm. problem and decide, you know, that's close enough. It's just mental. Like, now, without looking, everyone who's listening, try and write down how you think you spell Shersha, Shersha Ronan, and I guarantee Shersha you... Ronan. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> so sorry. Should we talk about the film? Yes. What did you think of it? It was all right. Great. There we go. <laughs> um, it's the kind of film I would love to be like, oh, that's my favourite film. Why? Explain that. Because I just think it was quite cool and like interesting and like quite cultured. And I'd love to be the kind of person that was like, oh, yeah, I love that film. But... You think it would make you sound cool if you were if you loved that kind of film? Is that what you're okay, saying? Okay, compared to, so Jude Law is in this film, right? Yeah. And when I saw his face, I was like, oh, but it's not Jude Law from The Holiday. And I'll be honest, I'd rather sit down and watch The Holiday, which I did over the Christmas holidays. Whoa. And he's just such a nice man, and he's like a widower, and he's he's got these two beautiful girls. <laughs> And like, but that's that's so not cool. And I wish this film was my favorite film, but it's not. You know, he's an actor. When you're going on about, oh, he's such a nice man. He's a widower. He's he's an actor. Okay, right? he looked hotter without a mustache. Uh, okay, there was a lot. Everyone of looks hair. hotter without a mustache. Lot of facial hair in this film. It was it was commented upon by the director in that that brief fifteen minutes of research I did. So the film starts with a bunch of sort of flashbacks it starts with a girl going to the statue of an author and the author giving uh like a presentation or a speech about how he remembers this story being told to him and it goes to when he was a young author and he meets this guy who's old and the old guy tells the story of when he was young yeah it's confusing it goes 80s, 60s, 30s. At least it says on the screen what era we're in. That is helpful. That is helpful. I hate when they start the film in backwards. I'm not really talking about this film. But you know when they're like... I hate films that start where you're like, what's happening? I don't know. And then that's all like a dream or a flashback from another bit. I like when they start at the start and they tell you these are the characters, this is what's going on. And there's like a narrator... In fact, there was a narrator in this. Yes, there I'm not really talking about this film. I'm just saying, in general, I like to know what the story is. Yeah, I suppose linear storytelling is one storytelling device. The story is sort of how these two men caper through their life. This older man becomes a mentor to young Zero, who is one of the people I mentioned at the start. Just Weird name, that. 
Yes, I sort of wondered if it was the real name of the person at the start. Zero becomes a lobby boy at the Grand Budapest Hotel and concierge, played by posh Ralph Fiennes, interviews him and decides that he has zero experience, zero educational background and zero something else to recommend him. Oh, and that's why they call him that? I don't know. I wondered. It's He presents himself as zero before that interview. Okay. So it's not, but I, I, you know, I sort of wondered, well, I guess I'm wrong now that I've thought it through, but yes, he's called Zero. He seems to have come from an eastern country where there was war and all his family are dead. But do you know where he actually came from? As in, the actor is American, but of what descent he is? I do know I read that, yes. Because they looked around everywhere for an Arab. But they they still (laughs) hadn't found... Who they're looking for. Yeah, they, they held auditions in like Egypt and Lebanon and stuff. But uh, no, he's Guatemalan. Yes. Um, do we know any puns about Guatemala? We often do country puns, but... Make up a limerick now on the spot. <laughs> there was a young actor from Guatemala who couldn't use the social s- uh, networking site Parler. <laughs> it had been taken down... Uh, it so made right wingers frown. So, but he was as happy as an impala. What's an impala? It's a type of animal that I have decided <laughs> is happy. <laughs> if you're going to force me to do a limerick, <laughs> don't question my rhymes. Okay, fair play. Yes, I forget the actor's name. Tony. Tony. Oh. That's why I didn't. I wasn't bothered. If he's not got a silly name. <laughs> What are you even here for, Tony? So Tony plays young Zero, who describes being the only survivor of his family from a war-torn, different country. And now he's come to this country, which eventually becomes war-torn. And it was shot in Germany and Poland, and it's sort of meant to feel a bit, I don't know, sort of a bit Polishy, I think. Eastern European, certainly. Mm. It's funny, because our last film was filmed in Czech Republic. And yes. some of this was... Inspired by a place in the Czech Republic. Let's go with that, yeah. It's a very, well, I was going to say it's a very pretty looking film. It, I think it is, but it has Wes Anderson's particular style. You know, he uses animation and models and he, does, he doesn't mind sort of mixing those bits of stop frame animation or things that are quite clearly not just film of real-sized people in a real-sized building doing real-sized human things. You know, he doesn't mind at all having a little, uh, like almost a drawing animated, hand-animated stuff of a funicular going up the hill. That wasn't a drawing, that was the model. There was a model, but I'm sure at one point it was a it was an animation, like a hand oh, okay. animated. I thought it was really impressive, the model stuff. Yeah, there's a... There's a whole bunch of models throughout the film, but I think that's part of his aesthetic. Yep. So I've seen... The other Wes Anderson films I've seen are um, Fantastic Mr. Fox, of course, Mm -hmm. and The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. Yeah, I think we saw that with Rachel. Maybe. Rachel, did we see that with you? In the cinema? No, I don't think in the cinema. I think I've seen it in the cinema. Oh. Um... With Bill Murray, also is in that, is in this. And uh, my abiding memory is it felt a bit like a story about Jacques Cousteau and it had a man singing David Bowie hits in Portuguese. 
but that's not that. That's not this film. That's that film. This film also had Bill Murray in it. Mm. T- so tell us the story. I did find it hard to follow. I, did, I feel like there's something wrong with me that pe- most people wouldn't be able to follow films. And I oh no, love. There's God. loads of things wrong with you, but that's not one of them. Okay. <laughs> I like I. And when I can't follow a film that well, I just enjoy some individual scenes. Okay, that's interesting, because I thought you just daydreamed. Oh, I do do that, yeah. And I realise, like, oh, okay, the last ten minutes I've just been thinking about what we're going to have for dinner in two weeks' time. Oh, it's like Guardian article all over again. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> two weeks' time. I remember that one time you turned to me and you were like, I'm just thinking, where will we put the printer in our next house? What? <laughs> what kind of being are you? Yeah, and that's why I struggle to follow films. You've got too much going on up well, top, love. Yeah, men don't do a lot of the thinking about these things. I try to do as little thinking as possible. And that's why you can concentrate on a film. And that's why you can go to sleep at night. Whereas I'm like, my head's like going through all the stuff that needs doing. Anyways... <laughs> So the brief story is Monsieur Gustave likes to befriend old ladies. Befriend wink wink. Nudge nudge shag shag. Oh, do you know who that do you know who that actress was? The old lady. Did you know this? No, I had to I had to read But it. do you know now? I know now, yes. It's the the witch from Narnia. It's Tilda Swinton. She's the mum from We Need to Talk About Kevin. Yeah, I was going to say that as well. You hated that film so much. I really did hate that film. I That's a film we've seen at the cinema, though. It was, before we had kids. Um. That was a mistake. I hated that film partly because it didn't serve it. It didn't tell the story very well. If I hadn't been warned or told by you, because you'd read the book about the story, it would have been really hard to follow. Yeah, yeah. I hate to be one of the people who say this phrase, but the book was better than the film. <laughs> you really do hate to be that really? person. Um, yeah, Tilda Swinton plays an 84-year-old like heiress. Guess how long it took for her to put her makeup on? Or oh, someone know. to put that makeup on 25 minutes. Five hours to do her makeup to make her look like an 84-year-old. Why didn't they just use an 84-year-old? On one hand, you've got to be complimented if it takes that long to make you look old. You've got to feel like, I look pretty good. I know, but why not at least get a 60-year-old and spend two hours on the makeup? Like, Did you read who they wanted for the part? No. They wanted Angela Lansbury. Is that a politician? No. Who am I thinking of? Oh, who are you thinking of? Andrea Leadsom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> who is that? Angela Lansbury is the woman from Murder She Wrote. Oh, I don't know what that's something from my childhood. Uh yeah, she's <laughs> an old lady. She's not eighty four, but she was doing a stage show so she wasn't free to um There must be loads of old ladies that are free. No, that's the old only la- one. <laughs> old ladies don't have anything to do, do they? Because they're no, retired. They don't just fall out of trees, okay. My mum's free. She's not that old. Mind you, she'd probably only need to spend three hours in yeah, makeup. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Sorry, Sue. She'd hate to be in a film, though, to be fair. Well, that's probably why they didn't cast her. Yeah, but there must be, if you're 84 and wanting to be in a film, write in. We'll get you a part. <laughs> what? We'll, we'll tweet Wes. 
Where's <laughs> Be Wes? like, Wes, we've got an old lady for you. We found you an old lady. We should start a, like, uh, what's it called? Like a agency that provides old ladies to people. Okay, one second. <laughs> how many old ladies do you think are listening to this right now? And how many casting directors do you have <laughs> access to or contact with? We'll, we'll work that out. That's the small <laughs> details. But I just think we know some old lady. Uh, it's hard to find them on Instagram, you know. <laughs> what a shock. There's some old ladies in our church. Yep. Um, my auntie is something to do with television. She can operate a television. <laughs> okay, maybe it needs a bit more of a business plan, but I think I think we could do it. Great, count me out. <laughs> um, so, Monsieur Gustave has a intimate and long-lasting relationship with this old lady, played by Tilda Swinton, and then she dies. And he and Zero, his little lobby boy protégé, go to her funeral, which sort of turns into a will reading and there isn't a funeral yeah yeah i don't think they read a will at a funeral i think that's a bit that's a separate thing isn't it not very tasteful well yeah so all her family all the old lady's family have turned up in her old castle schloss lutz schloss being the german word for castle okay i think actually now i've said that i hope i'm right and they read the will and in it there's been a last-minute amendment where Monsieur Gustave gets the famous and priceless painting Boy with Apple. And that's not a real painting in real life, is it? No, it's not. It was made specially for the film. I've got a lot of questions about painting theft well, stuff. Well, I am certainly the person to answer <laughs> those questions. So, I trained in art. Theft? <laughs> Well, no, I did a master's in theft. Oh, okay. I did my degree in fine art. I only have an NVQ in pickpocketing, so let's see what <laughs> we can do together. That was terrible. <laughs> um. <laughs> terrible because it's a terrible joke, or terrible because it's not a high level of qualification? No, I just really look down on you because I've got a master's in, in theft. theft. Yeah. Specialising in bank theft. What was your dissertation? Um, it was, do banks actually keep money there? Or not. <laughs> Thrilling title. Bit clickbaity. <laughs> Banks, have they got any money in? Because it would be so embarrassing. I said this on one of the other ones. To rob a bank and they'd be like, oh no, we've gone like paperless or whatever. Paperless. <laughs> moneyless. We're a moneyless bank. <laughs> that is just a house, my love. It's an office. Anyway, <laughs> how do you steal a pay? Well, not that bit. It's... I could work that out. How do you... Then what's your next step? Okay, uh, if you're writing a book, how to become an art robber. Step one, steal a painting. Yeah. Step two, like, what? then what do you... Then what do you do? Because I can't imagine there's, like, a load of criminals that are like, oh, I really want this famous bit of art. I think art is kind of only worth money because of it's made by a famous artist and if you can't show it off then it becomes worthless i don't understand why it's still worth something when you have to keep it hidden away because it's stolen 
So my vast, vast knowledge, apart from my NVQ studies, <laughs> comes from books and films. So something like Headhunters by Joe Nesbo or The Thomas Crown Affair would tell you, or even um, Yamakaze, the French parkour film, would tell you that there is an underground market that deals in stolen antiquities, valuables, this kind of thing. But at a, you would not probably sell it for the price it's worth. Yeah, I get you wouldn't sell it for the price it's worth, but I just think once you've stolen a painting, it's worth nothing. Because you can't be like, oh, I bought a Picasso down the pub. <laughs> just what's the point? Then what does the next person, do they sell it on or do they just keep it and be like and just have it on the wall and like oh I'm just enjoying this Picasso but they're just like some kind of thug you're missing the key intermediary step of the fence which is a role not an actual fence a person who takes the stolen goods and fences them sells them on to an art collector who may be very wealthy and wishes to keep and like that extraordinary uh, artwork of the pineapple there, once you're a famous artist slash thief, uh, as opposed to just an Dan's infamous... pointing to an embroidery I made. Yes. That will be worth many millions, and um, your most avid fans, or fans of art in general, would happily keep that in their room just for themselves. But if you're... A famous person with loads of money that wants to buy art, why not just go to the real place? Why not go to a real auction or whatever? Why buy it? How do you even know some, like, art? Well, say you wanted Monk's Scream or something. They're not going to sell that to you. The museum is not going to sell that to you. Well, that's why they sell prints, isn't it? So that people who want that picture can get a photocopy. I just uh, I just don't understand the whole well, I like it does happen so it must it must happen sometimes but I just don't understand how art theft works. Well in this film I'll, I'll try and keep us broadly massively vaguely on topic. Um the theft of the artwork is very simple because it's hanging up on a nail on the wall and he just plucks it down puts it on his shoulder, gets his friend to wrap it for him, like as if it was, you know, a pastry or something. Mm. And then they run off and hide it in a in the safe in the hotel. They never actually sell it. Or they, they never... They talk about it, don't they? They're like, shall we keep it or... Yes, he says, we should keep we it. it. I could never part with it. And then two seconds later, we'll sell it. So we don't see that play out in this film. We just see the first part of it where they take the painting and hide it. And unbeknownst to them, uh, Madame Lutz's... No, is it Madame D, her like butler, hides a second copy of the second will in the back of the painting. Mm. And that gets hidden for you know at least half the film in the back of the painting. And when it comes to light, it proves that Monsieur Gustave... Is innocent because he gets accused of having killed her. Yeah. Goes on the run, gets chased by the police, gets thrown into prison. But then the, this will that's hidden in the back of the painting proves him to be innocent of all the charges. There is some fun bits like in the prison when they're trying to break out and stuff. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was interesting though. One directorial choice. There's a, a prison escape. There's this big 
cable car sequence. There's a, an escape down a mountain, and in anybody else's film, I feel like those would be like, I'm saying like a lot, sorry, I feel that those would be moments of high tension and drama and action and duh, whatever, you know, but they just lightly step across from one cable car to another, thousands of feet up. Yeah, He's that's not fun. interested in that aspect of danger or f- worry. It's a total farce in that sense, like a, a comic caper. Yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, it's it's not an action film, but I thought another director might have made that could have been a really like James Bondy sequence. Yeah, but in the it's filmed in the least James Bondy way possible. Yeah, I think that's fun. It is very different to any other film I've seen, like both in storyline and the the kind of way it's filmed. So I do respect that. I think it looks really beautiful as well. The lighting and mm. the colours. Like I'm I'm a little bit behind on my colours. <laughs> I would say, you know, I'm like year seven colour level. So I can't tell you why it looks good or which really bits work well together. But the moments where I was like, this is beautiful. This looks... Yeah, it's quite like Instagram-y. Yeah, it looks like an Instagram filter. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. The snow is beautiful. It does make you want to go somewhere snowy. Yeah. You know, there's that s- chase down the side of the hill. Is it when they go on the luge? Yeah. I love the luge. Oh, how can I become a, a luger? You're such a luger. <laughs> Everybody knows Hannah Jones is the biggest luger in all the world. Um, I think probably like Chamonix. Or, you know, go off to one of those places, oh, crest yeah. the crest to run, wherever that is. I also don't understand how it's a sport. I know this is another tangent, but I it's just going down a slide. It's like saying, oh, I went down a water chute faster than you went down a well, water chute. Well, I think you've just <laughs> invented a Summer Olympics luge sport. <laughs> the melted luge. <laughs> <laughs> we call this the aqualuge. <laughs> yeah, I do love. Don't drink yellow water. <laughs> the aqualuges have been a little too scared. I do love a water shoot, but a loo- Yeah, I'd love to be. How did that? You know those people in the Winter Olympics. Yeah. I'm like, how did that happen? That they got into that because I don't know anyone that was into. Luge. I don't even know where you'd go to to luge. It's, at school, it's like, oh, you could do football. You can like play the violin. Um, Le- r- remind me, which snowy winterland did you go to school in? Uh, Warwickshire. Warwickshire. Yes. Mm, yes. 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 yes, yes. <laughs> Warwickshire, with the dancing bear. So I think if you'd gone to school in like Finland. Yeah. You know, Denmark. Or like Canada. Oh, Canada. What, then luge is like the equivalent of football? Yeah, it's like, hey, you can do hockey, you can do violin, you can do luge, you can do uh, moose riding, you can do... He's so cool. Elk taming, you can do maple tree tapping. You just put a tap in the side of a maple tree and out comes syrup. Oh, I would love that. (laughs) Um, I think, yeah, that's, you're a, a prisoner of geography in that sense. But it's never too late to recreationally pick up luge. I say this to everyone all the time. If there's another, like, ice age 
because of global warming. <laughs> I can yep. see some problems with that sentence. Would yep. it go like too hot and then too cold again? I'm not a climate scientist. Okay, anyway, do you think water slides at centre parks will ever freeze? Because I think that's my that's my best chance of a luge. Centre parks <laughs> is your best <laughs> chance of a luge. Take all that money you're spending on a holiday to centre parks and go to like Finland. Okay. Go back to Norway where we went that one time. You all right, s- I'm off. Okay, bye. Uh, I shall continue now. Now that we're finally alone, <laughs> I can tell you what I thought about a film. Yeah, sorry, the film. <laughs> the film. It's going to be so much editing. There's going to be about four minutes of film content in this podcast. I read an interesting little fact. There's a bit where they're escaping from prison, and I think there are five of them escaping from prison, and they're jumping from bed to bed to bed over some sleeping guards. Do you remember that bit? No. Okay. In oh, yes. Thank goodness. And Wes, Wes, Wes Wales Anderson was was uh, demonstrating this to the actors and seeing, uh, showing them how easy it was over a real person. And apparently he caught the person's face or mouth with his shoe, kicked their false, oh. kicked their tooth down. They swallowed their tooth and he had to pay that man to get a new tooth. Oh. Yeah. I hope Chris Lyons was around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, right here, Wes. <laughs> I'll help you out. So sorry, Chris. As if I know him. So sorry, Chris. Please don't hurt me. From uh, season two, episode one. From Harry Potter. Yep. The tooth provider for Harry <laughs> Potter. I, I'll never forget that man. We found him on Instagram. Oh, yeah. Well, we, uh, we're we going to be big mates. Do you have any favourite quotes, love? Uh, no. Great. I, I have one. Thanks for Go asking. <laughs> At the end, near the end, old Zero is talking about Mr. Gustav H. And he says, uh, to be frank, I think his world had vanished long before he ever entered it. But I will say, he certainly sustained the illusion with a marvellous grace. And uh, Mm. I just thought that was a piece of pretty writing. Deep. Did you notice the scene that they stole from The Lion King? Um, they did like a snow version of the bit where Scar holds Mufasa on that cliff edge. Y- yes, I did notice that because you said that was straight out. That's the, the Lion King. Yeah, as it happened. Every film's got a secret Lion King scene in it. That's the Disney That's conspiracy. My so Gustav H is hanging from the edge of a snowy cliff, and one of the baddies, the baddie henchman, Mister Joplin, played by Willem Dafoe. Honestly, this cast is stacked full of famous people, famous actors even. Uh, and Willem Dafoe is sort of lording it over Monsieur Gustave, who is reciting a poem as he ends his life, or he thinks he's about to end his life. And then Zero, young Zero, just pushes him over the top, which is like Scar pushes Mufasa. Mufasa. Yeah. Apart from this time, it's like Simba pushing Scar whilst Mufasa hangs. Uh. So... Um, I don't think I want to explain the whole of the film in Lion King characters. That would really push it. But um, mm. yes, I did see that. And then they escape on his old BMW motorcycle, which had skis on the side of it. Oh yeah, that was there were some cool vehicle based. I think things. it just it just looked everything had this like we said it looked had such a coherent 
on-purpose look. At one point, I wrote down that this film reeks of effort. The thing like that, I don't think, just falls into place. It felt like, man, they have put so much effort into making this look the way it looks and sound the way it sounds. Like, they had mm. some balalaika players come in, which is this, like, three-stringed Russian guitar. It's triangular. Thing. It is. Uh, you've got one. But it's not the triangle. It's not. <laughs> the other triangular <laughs> instrument, guys. The other the <laughs> other one. Um, it, it feels... Like, even as I was watching it, I, was, I had this sense of so much work has gone into this film to make it look this way and feel mm. this way. There are little bits of it that sort of reminded me a bit of Moulin Rouge. I know you hated Moulin Rouge. I still remember it. Go on. Uh, what, what do you mean? Uh, I don't know specifically, but I think... I don't mean specifically, you know, just generally, vaguely. Don't know, it had just had a little bit of a vibe of it. I think, I, like, some of that colourful stuff, it was They're frenetic like quite as quick, well. Quite quick bits. Yeah, I wrote down in my notes that it's sort of like a very high-paced film. For For lots of it, there's... Lots of quick cuts and short mm. sequences. Can't like, daydream. Like there's a sequence of of them two just running across some snow, and there was like uh, a sequence of a train rushing across a bridge, and then going back the other way. And that's what I mean about effort. Like some of these establishing shots and second unit shots, the background shots. You think they've done so much work, and that's just that's just like a little bit. There's just a tiny little bit of the mm. film. Five seconds of somebody wandering across screen. They've had to go to like a deep snow-filled uh, field to find that. Yeah, the what the bit on the train. Yeah, the train. I saw this little um, photo of how they filmed the train scene, and they made this like tiny carriage, sort of like the size of like a toilet cubicle, and had it on this track, and people were just pushing it so that you could see out the window and the window scene was changing it was kind of on a real track just being pushed by people a couple of couple of people just wrapped up warm because it was in the cold yeah it was like curtained off on one end yeah it. it was interesting to see the pictures we could maybe put it on our insta you can try and find it yeah yeah, they filmed some of it in a national park near Dresden Lovely. in the mountains. That was where they did the wedding scene. Yes. I've got some film facts for you. Oh, I love it when you hit me some film facts. Uh, do you know the scene in the prison where Zero got slapped in the face by a prisoner? At the end of the prison break, yeah, sure. Um, They had to film that. That was a real slap, not with a stunt double or whatever stunt slap <laughs> yeah they filmed that 42 times that guy got slapped in his face 42 times 42 times that's about 42 too many times to be honest but he was like 17 or whatever like I'm sure what it's okay to slap 17 year olds what I mean is I bet he was well paid and I bet being slapped in the face 42 times was worth it compared to doing a paper round Mm. I had a paper round. Yeah, would you rather get slapped in the face 42 times or have a paper round? 
Well, I'd probably have a paper round, to be honest. <laughs> but I imagine he was getting paid more than I got paid on my paper round. <laughs> yeah. Any more film facts for us? Oh, yeah. The girl that I can't pronounce her name. How do you say it? I like to imagine that I'm talking about the Shawshank Redemption. I'd say Shosha Ronan. Oh, yeah. Shosha Ronan. Exactly. She actually baked the cakes. She actually baked the cakes. Yep. We don't even see footage of her baking them. We see footage of her like cutting out pastry. Yeah, but she did. She made them all, and she found it hard. But they didn't get a proper baker in. Why not? Don't know. Didn't, the article I read didn't say why. He just said she did it and she found it hard. That's the kind of thing where I feel like I'm happy for an actor to be acting to be a baker and not actually have to be a baker. Yeah. 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 It was a bit like a seal agreeing with me. Yeah. She was in... um, (laughs) Sorry. She's been in lots of things. She's been in Atonement. Great film. As a 13-year-old. Yeah, we both... Is that a film we both think is a good film? Yeah. Powerful, moving film. Um, And she was the murdered girl in Lovely Bones. Oh, I'd forgotten that, yes. Yeah. We saw that, didn't we? Oh, yeah, we did. See that in cinema as well. We did. That yeah. was really scary. What a date creepy. movie that was. Yeah. So difficult to find compromise mm. films. And I haven't seen this, but she was in that film called Hannah. That looks scary. Oh yeah. But they spelled Hannah wrong. They have. That's the scary part. And um, that's not how you spell the name Hannah. This is not. Would you like to do a credit shout out? I would. It's time for the credit shout out. That's what this podcast is all about. We big up a person with a silly job or name. Like shoe coordinator. This is bound to lead to their future fame. Got quite a lot of these. The credits seem to go on for ages, to be honest. And then at the end, um, there was a little dancing Russian man. A little Russian dancing man. Just animated off to the side of what the credits whilst they zoomed oh, past. Didn't notice. <laughs> you daydreamed through that. Raffaella Fantasia was the assistant costume designer. That is a really cool name. Raffaella yeah. Fantasia. Yeah, I think... Better than Hannah Jones, isn't it? Ugh, look at you. <laughs> Plain old Jane sat there. Uh, there were three Klimt forgers. I didn't even recognise... Klimt, as Klimt in the in artist. The yes. Oh, yeah, he's the golden kiss artist. I didn't even recognise a Klimt in the film, no, but I there didn't. were three forgers, apparently. I did notice in the film, though, a stuffed bear. And I was like, I wonder who stuffed that bear. Or if it was, like, was it a if real it bear? it came pre-stuffed. Do you know, yeah. Do you think they do, like, stuff your own bear taxidermy kits? Are you talking about Build-A-Bear? <laughs> Uh, no, sort of more like preserver bear. I wonder, because I was thinking about this, our rabbit's going to die soon. Oh. <laughs> and it's sad. And I, I'm i like, should we get her stuffed? So nope. like she's still like a lovely toy. Nope. Should we just, when she dies, take her to build a bear and be like, oh, I brought my own, I brought my own uh, skin. Put a cape and a hat and a sound box in this. Can you, <laughs> can you just stuff that? Because that might be a cheaper way of getting taxidermy because I imagine you have to pay a lot because it's like a proper skill but I reckon if we could just snuck it into Build-A-Bear 
They might not know this. You know that you can't go around to build a bear and get them to build you a house or something. It's not like it's not like they have all these skills that they're just they're just hiding behind this. They'll just stuff anything you bring. <laughs> not sure. So there <laughs> was uh, a dyer, as in like using dye to D-Y-E. dye things. D Y E R uh, in the costume department. Patricia Patricia Barbera. The contact lenses were supplied by the Real Eye Company. But real spelt as in like camera real. R W E. Oh, I get it. Puns. There were two balloon operators. Cool. Harold Geltel, I think that is, and Christian Saalfeld. Um, we wanted to give. Where were the balloons? I don't know. There's a helium balloon. There's another person credited as helium balloons as well. But I didn't notice any balloons. No, I didn't either. Maybe they're invisible balloons. Hmm. We, you said, let's give this person a special shout out. The facilities cleaner, Andreas oh, Braun, yeah. Braun, Brown, Braun, Braun. I'm going to go for Braun, sorry. Andreas Braun. Well done for cleaning the toilets or whatever. You asked the question, does he get to go to the premiere as well? Like, oh, oh, right. I worked on that film. Walked down the red carpet. Oh, we're here with Andreas Braun. Is the facilities cleaner from the Grand Budapest Hotel. I think, why not? I don't, I, I don't know. But, Andreas, we see your name. And thanks, mate. Yeah. Well done. The last one, sorry, was the soups were provided by Café am Flusterbergen, um, which I'm pronouncing wrong on purpose. There was, a, there was a catering company, or a catering, a few caterers, and then... For the real food. Just soups. Like, were they specialist soups? Were they inedible soups? That were were they film soups, or were these the soups that? So many questions about soup that I, I never know, thought. And I I'm surprised that they are listed on the credit. Like, did they did those people get to go to the premiere and like wear a fancy ball gown and get like papped and stuff and be like, what were you in the film? Oh hello, I did I the soups. Soup. <laughs> I'm from Cafe Microwaved. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the film. I microwaved a Heinz tomato soup. I also microwaved a Heinz kit, uh, chicken soup. We are the soups people. Uh, there you go. That's the end of our credits, I think. Yep. Another film fact for you. Hit me with it. Uh, they all stayed, all like the cast and crew, in a hotel. Whoa. Which conveniently was the hotel that they were also filming at. And then instead of getting extras for like the hotel staff sort of going about in the background, they just use the real hotel staff. Interesting. Yeah, it makes sense, but I wonder if they paid them. Surely they also paid them as extras and didn't just be like, oh, just go about your normal duty and we'll film and you're in the background. Go about your business. Nothing to see here. Because I imagine they had to wear different costumes because they had those nice like purple hats and stuff didn't they i did like the costumes the purple yeah again it looked very it was a feast for the eyes it was very visual and the hotel was pink very lots of pinks and purples Mm. Um, apparently on film facts i read this uh, there is a briefest of brief cameos from george clooney oh um there's a sequence near the end where they're shooting in the hotel 
they get confused and they shoot and then some soldiers pop out and start oh shooting yeah. at each other and apparently I, I didn't check it myself but apparently he is there in a in a white jacket as one of the soldiers shooting one of the why they I don't know if you're going to get George Clooney in, why not give him a proper role I was impressed at the amount of famous actors Bill Murray Owen Wilson uh, Jeff Goldblum, Willem Dafoe, Leah Sadu, and Tilda Swinton, who had like really bit roles, small mm. parts, and a lot of them. When Jeff Goldblum first appears on screen and disappeared, and then Willem Dafoe, they they weren't speaking. And I was like, are they just in here with non-speaking parts? Like that would be a power move to get someone like Jeff Goldblum and just be like, no, I don't want you to say anything. Just come on and look your kind of Jeffy self, and then come back off again i don't know mm. i read it's wes wales anderson first name yeah wesley his wales anderson <laughs> it's his highest grossing film to date the most grosses he's ever made yep uh, is it his most recent film has he done one after this it's 2014 i imagine he's d- that was a long time ago still imagine he's done something seven yeah, he can't have been just, like, sitting around. Oh, speaking of Wesley Wales Anderson, mm-hmm. uh, throughout the film, four or five opportunities, the people are quoting poems. Do you remember them? A little bit. And I sort of think, who are these, what are these poems? Apparently they're poems he wrote, just sort oh. of semi-joke poems, the interrupted poems, all the way through the film different people quote poems at different points uh, some of them are quite nice you care to share no watch <laughs> the film pay attention next time fine little details that are spotted um, Jeff Goldblum is being chased by Willem Dafoe into an arts museum Kunstmuseum in Germany no <laughs> that's the word for art let's not be childish about it and the museum says closing in 15 minutes, the sign says. And there Jeff Goldblum goes in and runs off to hide. And Willem Dafoe's character comes in behind him and the sign now says closing in 14 minutes. Uh-huh. I imagine if you watch this film like three or four times, there's an insane amount of those little kinds of oh, details. Oh, I read about some little details on that. Yeah? Like when they have a newspaper, it says like the headline headlines for the day and yeah. it's something to do with the hotel but it actually if you sort of paused it on that and read the whole article it would tell you the whole film in one of the beginning scenes which is mad isn't it I, yeah i reckon there's an insane amount of that kind of stuff again what i mean by it reeks of effort and people putting the time in it just right down to the tiny yeah i i read another little detail thing about uh, Monsieur gustav yeah yeah um, that he had a notebook in one of the scenes and somebody said if he had a notebook it would definitely be a lined notebook and so they shot it again with a lined notebook because they'd use a plain notebook, something like that. Oh, those plain notebook plebs. I love a plain notebook. I was going to say we're on opposite ends of that divide. Oh, I just... I'll put my lines where I want to put my lines. Thank you very much. I don't have to write on lines if I don't want to. I don't even have to write well, like I don't like to be confined. It it they're like prison bars to me. 
Yes, I think, however, that this <laughs> character, Monsieur Gustave, did not feel the same way. No, and that's fine. He was meant to be very fastidious, very clinical, very kind of... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? What's a synonym for fastidious that I've lost? What are you laughing at me for? Just your words. I like words. You lined paper geek. <laughs> I actually quite like squared paper, though, which is even kind of more lines than lined. Even more prisony. Mm, but it's also, I don't know, something nice about squared paper. Hey, guys, what's your favourite paper? Write in and tell us. Uh, have we got anything else? What film is coming up next? Oh, well, you're going to like this. We're going back to the 80s. It's the Goonies. You said that quite scouse. It's the, the Goonies. Goonies. <laughs> it is the Goonies. <laughs> yeah, it's Recommended the Goonies. by Grace Snow. Grace Snow, what a hero. We said recommend some films, and she recommended about 75 films. Yeah. Most of which either one or either of us have seen, but this one... I don't think I've seen it all the way through. I certainly haven't seen it since I was a child. No, I've never seen any of it. So next week, tune in to hear what we think and might also be about the Goonies. Yep. Thanks for joining. Lots of love. If you have a film suggestion for us or if you've got any comments about this episode or any other episodes, please let us know on our Instagram at I Wouldn't Watch. Thanks very much for joining. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.